Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. They can come in and infuse some strength. And this is what we can do as grandparents. So we're kind of on the sidelines. We're ready. We're suited up. If you need me, Mom and Dad, I'm here. But when, we, when we're caught up, when they blow the whistle or whatever they call us in, we're fresher. You know, we're not like embedded in the nuts and bolts of the raising the kids. And so we can come with fresh strength. That's Shelly Tomlinson. She's with us today on Focus on the Family, along with her friend and co-author, Chris Howard. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller. John, here at Focus on the Family, we love grandparents. I mean, I'm not one yet. You're not one yet. yet, But we're looking forward to that time. One day. And it's one of the things that people will contact us about. They'd like to see more content for grandparents. And Mm -hmm. so here's your day. We're going to talk about being a grandparent, being a really good grandparent, and how to do the right things and avoid doing the wrong things. And I am looking forward to this discussion so that in time, in the right time, when I become a grandparent, I'll be equipped. You'll know better how to engage with your grandkids. (laughs) That's the goal. uh, This is going to be a fun program. Uh, Chris Howard and Shelley Tomlinson both our grandmothers. Um, Chris is a prolific author and one of the Duck Dynasty matriarchs, I guess you could call her. Shelley is an author and speaker, and between the two of them, they have over 20 grandchildren, and I believe at least one or two great-grandkids, which is crazy. Uh, They're hosts of the popular Rocking It Grand podcast, and they've captured some of their stories and wisdom in a great book by the same name called Rocking It Grand, 18 Ways to Be a Game-Changing Grandma. And we have copies of that here at the ministry at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And while we're talking about being a grandparent with two grandmas, we also want the grandpas to hang in there because this content's going to be relative to you. And we want to help you in that journey as well. And let me welcome both of you. Uh, Thank you. To focus on the family. It's good to have you. You got, you're really fun. We've had a little banter already. I know this is going to be great. This energetic. Now, as we've said, uh, John and I, we're not grandparents yet in our little journey, but I hear it's pretty good. Uh, What's your favorite thing about being a grandparent? Oh, favorite thing? Chris, I'll let you go first. Ice cream. Favorite thing. (laughs) Ice cream is always involved. And in our neck of the woods, ice cream and Chick-fil-A are always part of (laughs) something. I mean, there was a time when my my grandkids now are, they range from 17 to 25. Mm. So I'm on the great-grandkids stage now. I have five great-grandkids. So... There was a time when my entire minivan smelled like something like, like a McDonald's or something. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like so many things. But my favorite thing of being a grandparent is just watching them grow up and being able to pour into them and see the things that you pour into your grandchildren like you did with your children actually come about and play out. And uh, just recently, one of my granddaughters uh, was away and um she was in California. We live in Louisiana. And just in the middle of the evening at 11 o'clock, I get a text saying, I miss you. You know, oh. how precious is that, that I have developed a relationship with my 18-year-old granddaughter that when she's in California, she has even a thought about me, you know, because right. I think about them all the time, of course. But to know that I am part of their thinking and that they love and that's miss so me special. no matter where, where that they is are. Awesome. So yeah. That's got to be 
top of the list of favorite things. Mine are younger. So my oldest grandchild is 12 or 12 and a half. And then I have one that's one and a half. So I have six that range in those ages. Hey, by the way, 12 and a half is actually 13. Right. She probably (laughs) would prefer I say 13. I'll just step up for her right right now. Speak for her. I think my favorite thing in this grandparenting journey has been that you're at a different place yourself. And so you interact with them differently than you did with your children you there's not quite as much expectation and so you can engage in more conversation there's not the nuts and bolts of parenting going on as much and so you can really engage with them and see the world through their eyes because they're always seeing things that I wouldn't have recognized. Yeah. I wouldn't have noticed. I no, like that. No, that's good. I think, you know, I've said this before, but it's a funny line that grandparents and grandkids have a common enemy. <laughs> the adult children. The adult people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My adult people come back to my house when they the grands are there and they're coming to pick them up. And the grands will go, oh, and they're like, you know, want to go the other way. And the parents are thinking, well, thank you. I'm glad you missed been, me. Everything's been fun and yeah. exciting. That might be a good place to ask that question because that yeah. does create some tension with your adult children, right? And your yeah. daughter-in-law or your son-in-law, you know, they come to get the kids and they're kicking and screaming, got their heels dug in. They don't want to leave grandma and grandpa's house because it's been so much fun. And then, of course, you get the phone call, you know, grandma, grandpa, um, can you guys help us and not be so fun? (laughs) Don't give them so much sugar. Right. I think as long as you're aware of where the parents' lines are, and Chris and I talk about this a lot, like if the parents are, they don't uh, give their kids a lot of sugar, then you don't either. I think that's kind of really, you abide by their rules as much as you can. Of course, as grandparents, you know, you're going to fudge them some and enjoy the grands a little, (laughs) but I really do try to respect. If they say nap time, they need a nap, then you put them down for a nap. If you say um, sugar is a no-no, then don't. And that that helps with that problem with the that parents. That shows yeah. mutual respect. Now, just yeah. the, the fact that they dig in and want to stay with you, oh, no, you're just happy about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're just like, sorry, buddy, but yeah. your kid loves me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. More so than that, you. No, yeah, this is yeah. my time. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. I'm Okay, here, you can take him scre- kicking and screaming if you right. really want to. Right. No, I know. I've, I've it's kind of that like people. stop, don't stop yeah. thing with yeah. the grandchild yeah. where you're wanting them to stop crying for the parent, but you really like it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. Really, yeah. You really are loving every minute of it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Chris, sure. let me ask you, uh, your granddaughter, uh, Sadie Robertson, yes. um, that's Willie and Corey. Corey's your daughter. Mm-hmm. So Sadie's mm-hmm. your granddaughter, and she's a delightful young lady. She is. I mean, she is. every yes. every uh, father who has a son about her age—that's the kind of daughter you hope your son will meet. You know, right. just very I bright. I had many, many direct messages from people when Sadie was before, before she was she married, was married. with. Do you, I really would love for my son to meet Sadie. Yes. Do you think she'll be in such yeah. and such town? You know, oh, I know. Okay, I people yeah. want me to set Sadie set up, and Sadie I was like, up. I'm not even in that. No, I'm yeah. not. Yeah, yeah. You you mentioned in the book you traveled to a speaking engagement with her, and a young woman approached you, and she said something about being a grandparent that really grabbed your heart. What did she pray over you or say to you that got your she attention? She did. She did. For the first probably three years of Duck Dynasty, when Sadie, or three or four years when Sadie was asked to speak so much, developing her speaking skills, 
I was the natural one to travel with her. Corey was busy filming and doing different things. So I was with Sadie at the speaking engagement, and this young lady came up to me and said that she had been thinking and praying about me, and which kind of shocked me. I'm just on the sidelines right. watching my granddaughter shine and do her thing. And um, this young lady said that she'd been praying, and she just wanted me to know that what has been coming to her is that that my ceiling, our ceiling as grandparents will be the floor for our grandchildren to mm-hmm. bloom and blossom and go and move and do and all that. And I mean, that just hit me. Mm-hmm. I love that analogy so much. And later I say in the book, I took we took our whole family to um, Israel for Christmas three years ago. And we got to see this in action. We got to look down this where they've excavated, I don't ever say that word right, this whole area. And you can literally see three civilizations on top of each other. And I thought, looking at that, wow, that is, you know, Johnny and I and Corey and Willie and Sadie and now Christian. And now they have Honey, who is now, of course, above us, my mom and dad and Phil and Kay and our, our generation, but my mom and dad and, you know, five generations. And each generation is building on the next and leaving that our ceiling, we're leaving that floor for them to start yeah. what they're going to do it's a beautiful and then picture. move on up. It's just yeah. really, that just touched me so much. Um, and and when it you still look, does. Yeah, when you look at that, um, I guess using that analogy of you know, building upon your grandparents' floor, ceiling, ceiling. as yes. your floor, which mm-hmm. is a great way to look at things. Yeah. What are those, as a grandparent, what are those building materials that you're giving your grandchild to build on? What are the timbers that they're going to be using? What are those things you're investing in as a grandparent? Right. That is the, that's the thing that you, that's what we think about so yeah. often, what we want to pour into other grandparents for them to think about that. Think about those things. What are those things? So how you go about those things may be a little bit different when you're the parent, the grandparent instead of the parent. You don't have all the responsibility all the time. Right. You do get to do a little more things. Things don't have to be quite as serious on some things. But still, there's a seriousness to it because God has gifted us with this role as grandparents. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Parenting is tough, and moms like Julie need encouragement when they feel overwhelmed. And the first thing I did was turn on the Focus on the Family podcast about parenting. That is my go-to because there's always a topic that is relating to what I'm going through at the moment. I'm Jim Daly. This season, help us give families hope. And when you give today, your donation will be doubled. Donate at FocusOnTheFamily.com family. Christmas memories of baking and sharing stories with your family. That's depicted in the Jaclay from Focus on the Family titled Family Traditions. This story and paint by artist Morgan Weisling, a portrait of a lively family kitchen scene, will find a special place in your home and heart. Find out how to get a signed version of this special edition print at focusonthefamily.com slash family traditions. That's focusonthefamily.com slash family traditions. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Uh, let me ask you this. As kids get older, uh, maybe the teen years, if we could frame that time in life, 
uh, they can tend to pull away a bit. There's so much pulling at them, electronics, friends, everything like that. H- how did you see those changes happening in your grandkids and what were the kind of the fixes to try to keep them engaged in the family? Well, I'll speak to that and then I'll cede to Chris because hers are a little older, but I'll tell you what I'm doing like right now because uh-huh. mine are kind of transitioning and I see that happening. And then Chris can speak to as they get older. So that 12 and I have a couple that are uh, pushing 13. And so if that you have no, you're, you're no longer the center of their world. I mean, sadly, this is what begins to happen. You know, grandma was everything when they were two and now their world enlarges and it's full of friends and family and their own interest. And so you have to reach out to them more and so, so you I, initiate. You initiate, yeah. and you do not expect them, and you don't take offense if you're no longer the brightest star in their universe. <laughs> you know, it can be hard as grandparents because that was your baby. Yeah. But if you realize that this is natural and it's good that you're no longer the, you know, they're not orbiting around you. And so you reach out to them and you continue. I say in another place in the book, you talk about the things that don't matter as much so that the things that do, you've already built a ground of communication. That's that's a good parenting tip. So it's regardless what's going on, if you instill that, that just ability to um, have a conversation and talk to them about their life. And you might be talking about a frog or the color of the sky, and it may seem inconsequential before they reach that age. But if you've built that communication in, then they start turning older and they'll trust you to talk about the things that are really important because you took the time to talk to them about the things that they felt were important when they were little beauty. But now Chris has the older teenagers that... The well, more experienced she, grandparent more experienced. is what I hear you saying. Yes, yes, <laughs> I will see she older, yeah. more experienced. Did I say that yes. the right way? Yes. Yeah. She you tries to not use that word older, but no, I, I say mature. Mature. I always say she's more experienced. Wiser. I am, I am you are more experienced. A little more experienced. And I remember it's funny. Shelly may not remember. I was on her radio show probably five years ago, and she asked me how I dealt with teenage grands because hers were really little at that yeah. time and I had the teenage grands and, I do remember this. Uh, and really Shelly is saying it right you've built you've laid that foundation when they were younger just like a parent does you mm-hmm. lay that foundation so that when they reach those teen years those natural years that they're going to gravitate away from you and my joke in my family is when my kids my grands get their license I get traded in for a car <laughs> and so that's like I'm the one driving them around and going all then all of a sudden I'm not anymore and uh, my wow. seven 17-year-old had an eye appointment this week where he had to have his eyes dilated. Yeah, I so get to it, drive again. Oh, I picked him up, and I said, just like old times, buddy. Yeah. He got in the car with me, and so after we did that, we went to Chick-fil-A, you know. So it's it's just staying connected to them all the way through so that when they reach their teen years, they still want to be with you. They still, I mean, you're definitely way down the line of mm-hmm. the girlfriend, boyfriends, friends at school, and all that kind of stuff, but you're still in the picture because you've built this relationship with them. And they and for me and Shelly both, both of us like to be involved even on other levels, like we both play tennis with our grandkids. We boat, ski, do those things. So any of those kinds of things Being that you active. can find, yeah. be yeah. active, things that even, um, you know, my grandkids, we all have 
tennis tournaments, you know, right. the whole family. I told yeah. a story in the book, and I think it's so good for this part of this conversation, that I developed this little game. It's a silly little game with one of my grandchildren when she was riding in the back seat. And she was that age where they ask questions constantly that have no importance whatsoever. You know, why, they Grandma? Ask, why? Why, Grandma? Why, why, why? Why is the grass <laughs> green? I had an epiphany one day, and I realized that Emerson didn't really – care why the grass was green what she wanted uh, was the conversation oh man that's what was coming and when i realized that this game developed accidentally where she would say why is the grass green and i would answer in a nonsensical way i'd say because elephants are gray and it took her a little while to to catch it and she would go okay but Keggy, that's my grandmother now, yeah, Keggy, why are elephants gray? And I would say, because the sky has clouds. And she'd go, oh, why does the sky have clouds? And I would say, because the trees are straight out of the ground. <laughs> and we could talk for hours. And her parents would listen, and they were like, that, that is the craziest thing. But Emerson loved it. And so what she yeah. was loving was the conversation. She was connecting. She was yeah. wanting to have a conversation. Yeah, that's so me. fun. Yeah. You know, um, Tough times are part of life. I mean, we are on the mountaintop sometimes, and sometimes we're in the valleys. And in the book, you mentioned that. Um, what are some ways we can teach our grandkids, not being their parents, obviously, but from the grandparent perspective, to build resiliency, you know, to toughen up so when those big blows come in life, you can manage them, whether they're eight or 18 or 28, whatever it's going to be. So I think the specific question is, how do grandparents play a role in toughening up the kids? I think a grandparent's role is different. You're not always privy to everything that's going on in their life because you're the grandparent. You're not living in the home with them. You're not seeing all of it. Mm -hmm. And so for a grandparent, I think you always have to be mindful of that and keep the conversation like I to ask mine I check on them I say how is school going know how school really going or friends in your mm -hmm. life you know tr that kind of thing and then just being super encouraging uh in the best way I think I say another thing about grandparents are we're the best cheerleaders because sometimes yeah. it's up to mom and dad to kind of say the tougher things and up to grandparents to cheer them on even when mom and dad have had to say, you know what, that was a tough game. You didn't actually play your best. Yeah. Grandma can come in and give the biggest hug and here's the bag of Cheetos and some water and you did great, <laughs> buddy. I love you. So it does change a little bit. I mean, we want, we talk this all the time when we do shows on building resilient children. We think we have a responsibility even with the grandkids too to help them see that. One way well. that I have found to build that type of resilience is to really give my grandchildren a bigger picture because many times they look at us and, and grandma looks like she didn't ever have these problems and their parents didn't have these problems. But if they're involved in something that I can say to Grant, you know, I remember when your Uncle Philip was this age and he was playing ball and sometimes he would have a game like this whenever nothing went right. And if you can liken that to the, the adults around them that they can they have not considered this yet, you know, and this is how Uncle Philip would do it. He would just decide. So you're not exactly now telling them what to do, but you're modeling for them. When Aunt Jessica had this problem or when your mom had this problem, she did this right, or we alone. did this. Right. And right. they begin to see how they weathered the storm 
and that helps them build resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, let's move to probably the most important aspect uh, and heart thing for a grandparent, and really those of faith, those that have a Christian mm-hmm. faith, mm-hmm. because that's what Oh, it's it's all about. It's everything. everything. So how do we help our grandchildren develop a faith in Christ that provides eternal life? I mean, that's what we believe, that we embrace Jesus, and that's eternal life. It's spending eternity with him in heaven. That's awesome. It is the whole ball of wax. For me, that is an ongoing dialogue. It's the uh, bringing Jesus into the conversation. It's a, a language of faith that I speak with my grandchildren. We don't, I have something during the summer that I call grand camp, where I have all of them <laughs> come good. to my house and we just act crazy. It's like very much what happens at Keggy's camp stays at Keggy's camp thing. You know, we just really... <laughs> We and these are eight, hard. nine-year-olds. Yeah, we, we play hard, but we incorporate faith. I, I have it all woven all through the day, and we might have a devotional that morning. Guys, that's really short, uh, age-appropriate, 10 minutes or something, very short, and we'll talk about Jesus being the light of the world. But then I'm going to bring that out through the day. I'll bring questions to them and keep the conversation going about who Jesus is in different things that we're doing. Yeah. I think what where we miss this is when we only take our children to church and they do not see Jesus being a part of our life Monday through Saturday. Huh. And then we take them to church again. Right. We do them a great disservice because now they're looking and they're saying, well, it doesn't appear to be a really important part of your life. I want them to have a different message. I want them to see that, you know, Keggy lives and breathes Jesus. Yeah. There's something here. We're right near the end, but I do want to cover a couple things. One, you compare grandparents to superheroes. I like oh, that. So, yeah. A, I guess I'd like to know what superhero well, you identify with, and then B, how's it work? Okay, this was just one day they had superhero day at school, and my granddaughter, Sadie, that we've already talked about, actually went as me. That was her. <laughs> that and great. It was so, I just was so amazed at that and just thought it was so so precious. And then I got to thinking about the traits of a, a superhero. And I, for me, I think if I were to be one, I would have to say Wonder Woman because that's what I would want to be. And I want to do and accomplish so many things in life. And uh, we were talking about this yesterday, how Sadie's so much like me and that we just always have so many different things going, going in life. And I think Sadie saw that as a, this was, she was in the sixth grade as a sixth grader. And so then I started kind of developing that theme for this book about what are the things that grandparents do mm. that are like a superhero. And so, I, you know, if you get the book, you'll, you can read all those things. But, you know, one of them is just I think superheroes are always out to do good. Yes. And that's what grandparents do. I mean, that is our focus in life is doing good. We've we've lived it all. You know, we've done a lot of things. And now what's left for us to do is to leave the good, yeah. leave that legacy of good with our with our family. Yeah. And you both have talked about that building resiliency into the grandkids and, you know, observing the parents, your adult children's wishes when it comes to what they eat yeah. and uh, how excited they get. Uh, let me speak to that community of grandparents where they're not as connected. And right at the end here, uh, you know, again, I want to remind everybody, we have caring Christian counselors. You can call us to get more information. But I know people are listening where it's gone wrong. They're not connected appropriately with their adult children, perhaps. Therefore, they don't have access to the grandkids or, you know, there's just strife in the family. And they're hearing this going, I wish I had that playful Mm -hmm. spirit 
mm-hmm. Chris, you know, what you just described and having fun at granny camp. Yeah. And, but my kids and I are somewhat estranged for whatever reason, and I don't have that kind of contact. What advice do you give that grandparent? How do they begin to mend that bridge so they can experience one of the greatest blessings oh. in life? Um, I would just so encourage you. I would love to speak directly to that grandparent that's listening. Um, I'm almost emotional speaking to you because I I feel your heart, and I know that it can be hard if you're not connected. But I want to promise you that the Lord wants that more than you do. He wants you to be connected with your family and with your kids and with your grandkids. And I would just so encourage you to partner with him, to just go to him in prayer and begin to ask him for a different relationship with your kids and with your grandkids. And, you know, it's not just something, a cliche or something to say, but God does answer prayer and he is listening. And so the very first thing I would say is pray pray about it and then own up to what you have done on your own your mess that's the part exactly of the right. uh, relationship that's your mess yeah. own it because your kids need to hear that's that. humility and that's the humility that the lord can bless and then just so many times we don't say vocally what we want but vocalize that with your kids you know i've done this is where i own what's gone wrong but i want something different for your kids and i want to be in their life and i think those two things that humility and honesty and partnering oh i can't count three things and partnering with jesus uh, in their lives, yeah. I think that's where you begin. That's so good. That's really it. I mean, Shelly, you did such a great job summarizing that, and my heart goes out to uh, grandparents in that situation as well. And I, the the only thing I guess would say it maybe just in a different way is do what you can do. The Bible tells us to do what we can do as much as it depends on us. Mm -hmm. So make sure you're doing what it depends on you to do to make the situation better. And sometimes as we get older and we get a little more stubborn in our (laughs) old age and set in our ways, and sometimes we need to have a little talk with ourselves and say, no, wait a minute, I need to back up and do what I can do to make this situation better. And um, I would think that the grandchildren out there who are wanting you to be a part of their life want you to do that. Yeah. And it's it's a challenge, but it's an amazing admonition Mm -hmm. you're giving. And that is to say. And so many times the grandchildren are the ones that mend a relationship with a child. They can be. You have to set your grievances aside and look at the bigger picture and say the grandkids are the big picture. And their relationship with Christ is the big picture. And how can I play into that? So that's really good. Chris Mm -hmm. and Shelley, I mean, this has been fantastic. Thank you for such a strong reminder of the influence of grandparents in the lives of those grandkids and great grandkids, Chris. And I so appreciate it. Uh, Thank you for being with us today. Thank Thank you for having us. Enjoyed being here. Yeah. Let me turn to the listener as well and just remind you that Focus on the Family, like I said a moment ago, is here for you. Um, We have counselors who can help and talk with you. We have resources like uh, Chris and Shelley's great book, and we want to get that into your hands. And I say this often, John, but, um, you know, partner with us in ministry. If you can become a monthly partner or a one-time gift, we'll send you a copy of the book as our way of saying thank you. And if you can't afford it, we are a Christian organization. We want you to have the content. Mm-hmm. We'll give it to you, and we'll trust others will take care of the cost of that. So just get in touch with us and let us know that this will meet a need in your life. And uh, that is what we're trying to do here at Focus. Yeah, we're a phone call away. And Jim, I remember not too long ago, we had somebody call and make a donation. They said, I don't need that book, but here's $100 for at least three or four people to be able to get the book. That's and they, they paid yeah. it forward. 
Uh, we're asking you to do that if you can. Um, and if you're in a spot, as Jim said, where you can't afford to donate to the ministry, we understand. Uh, just reach out to us. We're a phone call away, as I said, 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break here and then return with another faith-building program for your family. Stay tuned. There's something so powerful to be in a group of people who get it, who can say, I see you, I love you, you're not a bad parent, uh, and, and we're going to come alongside you and walk with you through this difficult and challenging situation. Uh, we've got you, we're with you. Dr. Josh Hook is our guest today on Focus on the Family, along with his wife Jen and co-author Mike Berry, and together we'll be discussing the joys and challenges of foster care and adoption and how anyone, including you, can help care for hurting children. Thanks for joining us today. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. John, November is National Adoption Month in the United States and Adoption Awareness Month in Canada. It's an opportunity for us to highlight a great need. And in the United States, there are more than 400,000 children in foster care and over 100,000 that are waiting to be adopted. Scripture teaches again and again that each of us is called to care for the vulnerable. The question is, how can we do that? And we're going to explore that today. Maybe God has placed it on your heart to adopt and provide a permanent home for a hurting child, but it also could be helping a family in your church who's already answered that call and needs help. Uh, That is dramatic. And Gene and I, we did foster care, and uh, it was so good when we had one or two couples that could come alongside us to help us. If you're thinking, uh, that might be me, to any of those scenarios, stay tuned to today's broadcast. Right. Uh, Focus on the Family can help if you'd like to make a difference in a child's life. We have a lot of great resources. Uh, I'll point out Wait No More, which is our foster care and adoption program, and uh, we can connect you with that team and those resources when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And our guests are Jen and Josh Hook, uh, along with Mike Berry. Jen is the founder of Replanted. That's a ministry that serves foster and adoptive families through support groups and conferences. And Josh is a professor of psychology at the University of North Texas. Mike Berry is a return guest, and he and his wife Kristen fostered children for eight years. And they now have eight adopted children and a really popular website called Honestly Adoption. And together, our three guests have written a book called Replanted, Faith-Based Support for Adoptive and Foster Families. And of course, reach out to us if you'd like to learn more about getting a copy of that. All right, Jen, Josh, and Mike, welcome to Focus. Mike, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back with you. Um, Jen and Josh, let me aim this one at you. Uh, You've worked with both foster parents and their children. Uh, Mike, you've lived this. I think you and your wife fostered 22 children. Describe why foster care and adoption can be such a meaningful experience, and I can attest to it. You learn so much in that role. It can be challenging. Gene and I both said we wish we would have had the training for our own children, our bio kids, that we received through fostering. So who wants to take a crack at that? 
Yeah, I can take a crack at it. Um, you know, I think when you have an opportunity to step into a child's story and walk alongside them in their experience and the healing, um, that's just a really beautiful opportunity. Um, a lot of our kiddos have experienced really hard things. They've experienced trauma, separation from their birth families, especially foster care. You're living a life of in limbo. That can be really hard for our kids and our parents. And so it's a great opportunity as a church, as support systems, as parents to be able to come alongside and say, we see you, we love you, and we're going to walk this journey with you. Let me let me ask you this too, Jen, and you can kick it off and, and Josh and Mike jump in. But um, one of the things that you see as you're fostering is the trauma that these children suffer. And, you know, sometimes if we're living in kind of normal suburbia, you don't understand what's really going on. I remember one of the um, children that we fostered, actually a sibling set, and we got the call at 10 at night. The state was looking for some home. They had already called 10 homes. We were the last one on the list. They were doing a drug raid that night. They said there may be children involved. We may have to bring you these kids at 1, 2 in the morning. Are you able to do that? And I was traveling, mm-hmm. and Jean said yes, and, uh, and it worked out exactly like that. Uh, 1, 2 in the morning, the kids showed up with the social worker, and they had their hefty bag of clothes, mm-hmm. and there they were. And I think we don't understand you know, what a child expresses in that, in that unfamiliarity. I mean, what's happening to me? Yeah. And these kids were two and four mm-hmm. yeah. at the time. So speak to that trauma effect. Yeah, I mean, every child that uh, has been impacted by foster care adoption has experienced trauma. And that's something that we really need to understand if we're going to support our children well. Uh, I worked as a therapist in the foster care system in Illinois for several years. And um you know, trauma drives our emotions and our behaviors. And so if you have children that are experiencing these hard things, you know, I had kiddos that, you know, were neglected or abused or, you know, their parents were addicted to drugs and they couldn't understand, like, why isn't my parent getting sober to get me back? You know, these are hard things our kids are going through. And they pick that up early. Let me ask you too, Josh, when it comes to attachment issues, that's very common because they're being sometimes moved from home to home to home to home depending upon their situation. And that really plays a role in a child's um, underdevelopment. Uh, They don't know how to attach to an adult. How do those behaviors express themselves when there's attachment issues? Yeah, so attachment involves our uh, primary relationships with our caregivers early on in life. And that provides the template for how we think about relationships moving forward. So ideally, Um, when we're young, our needs are met in a consistent way by our caregivers. And uh, we have that expectation in relationships going forward. Um, But for kids who might have been abused or neglected or have dealt with um, other very significant challenges early in life, they might be avoidantly attached, which means they have trouble connecting and they keep Uh, people at arm's length, uh, or they might have an anxious attachment. And this sometimes happens when parents are inconsistently meeting their child's needs. And so um, in that case, kids might be clingy. They might be, um, you know, over trying or over active in their, in trying to get their needs met. Right. No, that's, that's really well said. Mike, let me bring in, uh, Gene and I can relate to, um, the experience of foster care. You've had 22 kids. We had probably 15. Uh, In that context, working with the state, I mean, these Mm -hmm. are people that are very committed. I remember when I was a foster child at nine years old, 
I mean, the person I clung to was a, a, a foster agent, you know, yeah, a social yeah. worker who was probably like 24, but she was such a breath of fresh air. I was like, yeah. can I just hang out with you all day? <laughs> and I felt like she was the adult in the room, if you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah. But from both the child's perspective, like I had, and then from a foster parenting perspective, mm-hmm. um, the state relationship can be a little daunting mm-hmm. in some ways. You have to get your home certified. They're telling you what you need yeah. to do. Just speak to that. Um, issue and that attitude yeah. as you get into yeah. fostering, what that looks like. Yeah. I think it's important to uh, remember, and we have a big heart uh, for case managers and, and the people who are working in the uh, social services system. They do um, I, have good hearts generally. They, Yeah, generally. And we have had, I would say, out of all the case managers that we worked with, 95% were, were great. Yeah. But it's important to remember that these are folks who are massively overworked they are and ridiculously underpaid yeah. for the job that they're doing and i think it's important for caregivers to remember what we do is we place ourselves a lot in the roles of at least cognitively like what they're going through a case manager has to go in and remove a child from sometimes horrific situations dangerous situations and then place them in a home that that the child doesn't know with strangers that they've never met. And they have, and that child has no control over how long they stay there uh, or really anything. And so, and the case managers on the front lines of this. And so to put ourselves in the, in their shoes and to think through that and imagine what that's like, it gives you a compassion for caseworkers. Mm-hmm. You know, it gives you an understanding of what they go through. And, you know, for us, it, it's helped us to do that because when we want to respond in frustration, we have to step back. And we have. Let's just be honest. We're human beings, right? Oh, some but things before, are frustrating. It is frustrating, right? <laughs> well, yeah, and there's, there's lots of paperwork. There are a lot, lot of things you've got to go through. It's a mountain of paperwork. And, you know, recently our oldest daughter became a foster parent. And and, and she was she and her family were living in a guest house that was on our property. And we suddenly found ourselves filling out a mountain of paperwork and we're thinking we're not even foster parents. Like this, right. we're just on the property right. with you, yeah. and yet we have to go through background checks. And and we had we had been out of the the system in terms of foster parenting for you know since well since 2012. So here we are, right in the middle of this. Back and, at it. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's we're thinking this is not what we signed up for. Yeah. You, <laughs> you know, know, Mike, this is a good place uh, to insert this because. You know, one of the difficulties and one of the reasons we started Wait No More, and I believe the reason that all of us are involved in this space of foster care, foster adoption, respite care, is our faith. I mean, this is a compelling reason for Christians to engage. One of the saddest things I had a state worker say to me was, we just need more loving Christian families to be involved. She meant it sweetly. I took it as an indictment Mm -hmm. that with 80 million Christians in the country, we can't take care of 400,000 kids. I mean, it is, there's, there's about 400,000 churches in the country. That'd be like one kid per church. Right. But it's frustrating. I think if we all did something, the problem would be not solved. It isn't a problem to be solved, but these kids would feel loved Mm -hmm. and they would hopefully have loving, good homes where the fruit of the spirit is active, not impatience, but patience, not, um, you know, harsh discipline, but loving, kind nurturing. So you speak to that 
just that, if you taste it like I taste it, if the church were really active, what a what a dent we could make in this problem. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that uh, unfortunately for a lot of churches in in the United States, um, they're very program driven. They're very, I would say, cue sheet driven, um, and oftentimes. Um, through lack of understanding of what the foster care system entails and and what families who foster go through, I think that it's just kind of it's pushed to the side just because it doesn't fit a program necessarily. And I think if we can shift our perspective to this is more than a program, this is a calling not just necessarily to be a parent, to be a, an active foster parent, but to participate in some way. I think what's valuable about a book like Replanted. And what Josh and Jen do through the Replanted Ministry, what we do through the Honestly Adoption Company, is that we are equipping people to not just become an active foster parent. We are equipping them to do something, if you want to put it like that, to participate, to get involved. There's more than just uh, active fostering. I think that's what freaks people out. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. You want me to do what with who? You know, it's like, I, I can't, I don't have the ability to do that. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Friends of Focus on the Family, give families hope this Christmas with a gift of appreciated stock. By donating appreciated stock, you create tax savings while turning resources into help for hurting families. And you'll also receive a tax deduction on the fair market value of your gift. Let our team help you make the most of your giving. To learn more, visit GiveFamiliesHope.com. That's GiveFamiliesHope.com. Just like a warm fireplace when it's cold outside, the joy of the Christmas season gives comfort. I'm John Fuller, and Focus on the Family is excited to let you know about our Christmas Stories podcast. Each episode brings heartwarming conversations to bring your family closer together and remind you of the hope we have in Jesus. You can enjoy that podcast at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Christmas Stories. Hear past shows and the brand new Season 5 at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Christmas Stories. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Jen, uh, describe the replanted model and the three types of support foster and adoptive families need. Yeah, so um, I think this is a really great opportunity for the church because if they can come alongside our families with support, this really sets our families up for success. We know that about 50% of foster parents quit after the first year. 50%. 50%. And so if we can come and we know that the number one predictor of a family thriving is support. There's been tons of research on this. And so what we really need to key in on is how do we support our families well and the kiddos well. Um, and so we we know that there's three areas that are really important for families uh, to be set up for success. One is emotional support. So being surrounded with people that understand your story. And this is just as important for the kids. So when we talk about emotional support, yes, it's great for parents to come in and be able to share their experience. But think about a child who's never met their 